Church, it's good to be with you today. And uh, I hope that God's peace has been with you this week. Um, I hope that God's peace will be with you today. I hope you will carry God's peace with you as you go today. Um, oh, man, it's just, it is good to be with my church family. It's been an interesting week, and it's good to be with my church family. I'll admit I kind of have a love-hate relationship with news on the Internet. Because on the one hand, I want to be somebody that knows what's going on. And I want to be somebody that's in the know. On the other hand, I find myself wasting my time sometimes. And I start out with the best of intentions. I really want to find out about, you know this or that really important economical situation or this this or that important disaster, and I find myself having wasted 10 minutes reading about the Kardashians. <laughs> Don't judge me, Christian people. You've done it too. All right. Um, no. I, it's just, it, 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 um, this is the problem with information sometimes is, is you go in trying to find out what's important and you end up being stuck in the not important, Right? And that's why internet news is sometimes very depressing for me, is because I get really, really depressed when I find out what we think is important. And I had another one that just kind of reinforced one of those lessons for me. You know, I'm, I'm not pessimistic, but there are times after I get done reading the news that I'm like, Western civilization is just, we're going down. You know, I, it is. And, and this was one of those. I, I got reminded that we are a society that is totally addicted to instant We have it in our food. We have instant oatmeal and instant uh, coffee and instant pudding and instant a whole lot of other things. We have uh, we're addicted to instant messaging, instant information. I mean, through said internet that I just described, right? Having it even on our smartphones and stuff. Instant money, electronic banking, credit cards. I mean, we're not really good at earning money instantly, but we're very good at obtaining it and spending it instantly, right? Uh, You know, instant entertainment, Netflix, DirecTV. You can start movies when you want in the comfort of your own home. You don't even have to go to the store to get them anymore, right? And no, this is not a rant on how we all need to, like, move back into the woods and live in cabins and stuff. Although that that idea is rather charming for me around, like, the time that camping season starts and stops being charming about the first weekend of camping being done. Um, But I like it, in theory. All right. I just realize how much this idea of instant anything tends to drive our thinking. And I I was reading the Internet news. And, and found a new instant that, that was kind of a, it, it, you know, it kind of, I have to fight against this thinking that we've sunk to a new low. Have you heard about instant abs yet? We've got them, man. We've got spray on abs now. You know that Hollywood star that you see running around in a crop top or, or that, uh, that, uh, that shot of your favorite shirtless Twilight star? You now have no way of knowing whether that's actually real or not anymore. Um, yeah, yeah, they can literally uh, spray on the abs. You can literally airbrush the definition lines of the six-pack on you. Costs about a hundred bucks, takes about an hour, and lasts for two weeks, and you never have to do a single crunch. Just don't go running shirtless in the rain, I guess. Okay. And 
I thought I might try it, but like given my proportions, they would have to like put six packs on this six, and I'd have like a 16 pack instead of just, you know, and it would just look weird. So, no. But convenience is nice, but I'm really convinced that like convenience sometimes makes us imagine shortcuts where there aren't any. Any, any workout, any, anybody that's serious about a strength training or a workout regimen or a dietitian is going to tell you unequivocally there is no permanent solution for obtaining a healthy and good body like portion control and regular exercise. There just isn't. There just isn't. And yet our market is totally flooded, especially right now, with products designed to circumvent those things and provide a shortcut to that physical body that we want. And we buy it, especially in January after Christmas, right? I read an article that projected sales for North America on dieting and exercise supplements and materials to be almost $40 billion this year. And they're projecting that most of it is going to be in the first quarter of the year. Ah, I may just throw out the word awesome for that and not in a good way. All right? Man. And we substitute dollars for discipline. And we hope that we're going to get the same results. And sometimes we do, but oftentimes we don't. And even if we do get those results, oftentimes those results do not last. And you say, okay, where are you going with this? First off, I make a confession that I have been a consumer of internet of instant health rhetoric before in my life. Okay? But I have also been consumer, a consumer of another type of instant rhetoric, and that is instant godliness. I've had times where I've been at that conference or listened to that good-looking preacher give that sermon, and I walked out ready to change everything, and then by Tuesday, that spark from Sunday had already gone away. Because I thought that in an instant decision... I could grasp godliness. And like shortcuts for physical fitness, shortcuts for spiritual fitness often leave us very, very wanting. And sometimes in worse shape than when we started. Intro sermons are difficult. I'm just going to say that right now because I'm, it's like I have to hold back intentionally. And so I can't give you everything that I want to give you over the next few weeks. But again, this is kind of the point is there's no shortcut to talking about what does a spiritually disciplined life look like. I can't just give it to you in a nice, neat package. We're going to have to explore it. We're going to have to experience it. But this is where we're starting today. It's talking about this idea of, of what, what really is discipline. What really What is Paul talking about when he goes and he speaks to Timothy about living a life that trains in godliness? that doesn't settle for shortcuts in godliness, but really strives and gives itself over to this idea of training toward godliness. See, here's the thing. Spiritual formation, this idea of being formed into the image of God that we talked about last week, I think it's something that we all desire in some way, but I don't think we always know how to pursue it. Um, the quote that you got behind me by Dallas Willard um, I, I love, there is a deep longing among Christians and non-Christians alike for the personal purity and power to live as our hearts tell us we should. 
I don't think you could ask anybody, do you want to live a better life? And they would say, I'm good. You know, I, I mean, I really, if you, if you, I mean, you, they might say that to you on the front end. But if you really dig deep down into us, God has wired us to grow. God has wired us to seek and to strive and to journey and to grow in our lives. We are not designed to be physically or spiritually static. We're designed to move, right? We're designed to be dynamic. We're designed to grow and change. And so that deep longing that's inside of us needs to be fulfilled. But oftentimes I think we don't know how to fulfill it. And like we talked about last week, I think sometimes there's a disconnect when it comes to our relationship with God. We have this desire to be in deep relationship with God. And we have a desire to to know him more fully. But then there's this disconnect between that and the actions we take in order to get there. I think either we find ourselves waiting for God to make spiritual breakthroughs in our lives without investing in things that are going to make us more receptive to that. Or on the other side, we find ourselves going through the motions of spiritual practice without an accompanying desire behind it. And then it just becomes rote and it becomes ritual and it becomes dead and it doesn't form us. And spiritual formation as God intended it, it happens when we can join up these two things. When we can join up desire and practice. When we can marry them together. And I think the good news for us is, the encouraging part is that God has already called us into pathways and habits that nurture us. In both desire and a healthy act of spiritual practice. And these are things that have been instrumental to the followers of God since the inception of the church. And these are the things that people have come to call spiritual disciplines. All right? Now, these disciplines that we're going to spend some time talking about over the next few weeks, I want to I highlight some real significant characteristics about them, okay? First off, they are for everybody, okay? They're for everybody, we're not calling you to some awesome super spirituality thing that you can't do. I liken it to I liken it to the bench press. Okay, I can do a bench press. I'm not going to tell you how much because I don't want you to make fun of me. Okay, but I can do one, and so can Reagan. Reagan can do a bench press. She can't do as much as me, but she can still do it. And I can't do as much as well, like two thirds of you in this room, but I can still do one. Okay. My point is, is that while the level of intensity may vary depending on the person, everybody can practice it. It is accessible to anyone. It is a simple exercise that is also difficult. And that, in essence, is what spiritual disciplines are. They are, on the one hand, very easy. We're, talking, we're not talking about you know, huge, strange things. We're talking about the basics. We're talking about like being in the presence of God, slowing down and being in his presence. Actually looking at prayer as a conversation, knowing how to actually study the word, not just for information, but for transformation. Okay, We're not talking about real strange things. We're talking about things that are, on the one hand, very, very accessible and very easy for wherever you're at in your spiritual life. Even, I dare say, if you are not someone who fully has subscribed to this concept of believer, but you are seeking God, these are ways to find him. It's, it's, God, it's God making himself accessible to everyone. 
And so I, you know, I start out by saying that simply because I fear that if you don't, if we don't hear that, then the next few weeks we're going to be thinking that these are just for somebody that's got a whole lot more faith and a whole lot more time and a whole lot more just spiritual bent than us. And me, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm broken and I'm compromised and I, you know, I got issues, man. This is not for me. No, this is for you. This is for all of us. But not just that, I want us to realize that these are things that are rooted in the overall style of life that Jesus chose for himself. We're not looking, we're not looking at anything that Jesus didn't do regularly. Okay? They're rooted in scripture. We see them. They're practices that Christ embodied to pursue the formation and, and relationship that he had with God. And so really all we're doing is we're following the pattern and the example of the habits that our Savior and the pioneer of our faith had. And also the focus of all these disciplines is going to center on one thing, transformation into the image of Christ. And this is where it gets a little tricky because now I have to ask you what you believe about all this. When I talk about transformation in the image of Christ... Do you think that that's something that we talk about in theory, or do you think that that's something that can actually happen? I need to let that hang for a second, because here's what I fear sometimes. I fear that we have what has been called by many people miserable sinner theology. Okay? And really, it's just this idea, that we're going to struggle vainly against the evil forces around us and the sin that lives inside of us. And basically that's really all we're called to is to struggle vainly until someday we die and we go to heaven and God's going to write all this mess. And I don't think that's the kingdom that Jesus brought. I don't think that's the gospel that he preached. I don't think he preached the kingdom of heaven is far away and you can get there someday after you die. I think he preached the kingdom of heaven is where? At hand. Right there. But I think sometimes we've got ourselves into this rut of thinking that, that we, we don't necessarily buy into this idea that redemption and resurrection are things that are happening now, even if they find their completion in eternity. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that? Because the idea of, of disciplining ourselves and training ourselves toward godliness is rooted in the idea that God is forming you into the image of Jesus Christ now. Not later after you die. Now. And that it's something that's actually attainable. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Depends on the day sometimes, I think. You know, depends on the day. Some days I'm really good at it, some days not so much, right? But do we keep that out in front of us as something real and something attainable by the power of God's Holy Spirit? And if we do that, then this concept of discipline really changes for us. I think we've got to hang up on the word discipline, okay? I, I, I do, I know. I mean, you know, partly because, partly because discipline involves work, okay? And let's just be honest, I'm lazy. I, I am. I got parts of me that are so lazy. Oh, I, man, I try hard, but there are, there are pieces of me that are just lazy. 
And we got that hang-up about discipline because we hear discipline and we go, great, that means more work. We also have a hang-up with discipline because if you're anything like me, discipline was usually associated with the thing that you got when you weren't behaving correctly. Yeah? And now it's time for discipline, right? Okay? And that's not really what discipline means. Discipline, especially in the spiritual sense, is the way of the disciple. In essence, like if, if you want to be this kind of person, if you want to be a person that's being formed in the image of God now, and you want to follow Christ, then this is the pattern of life, this is the process that you subscribe to in order to become that. That's what discipline is, the way of the disciple, the way of the following. That is discipline. And I like that because it takes all of those negative connotations out of it. Especially when you think about this phrase, that, and, and Brian referred to it a little bit earlier, and I love how God's Spirit does that stuff because we didn't talk ahead of time. So, I, But this idea of, of we desire your yoke. We desire that easy yoke and that light burden. Jesus, I think, would really, really subscribe to this definition of a positive formational aspect of discipline. You look at his words in Matthew 11, 28, and 30. And it's a passage I think we know really well, but he says, Come to me, all of you who are tired of carrying your heavy burden, and I will give you rest. How? Take my yoke on you. Learn from me, because I am gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden's light. You think of this concept of yoke and burden, they're almost interchangeable in this passage, and they have the same idea behind them. Figuratively, when we look at this passage, the yoke in the rabbi terms, it was the set of beliefs and practices that the, that the teacher subscribed to. And if you were going to follow the teacher, you took his yoke on. You took on his teaching. You took on his practices. You took on his way of living. But the image, the physical image that it's associated with it is exactly what you think it is. It's the big, heavy, wooden thing that servants or beasts of burden get hooked into so they can pull a load. And so immediately you have kind of this paradox of how is a burden light? How does a yoke become easy? And I think the key is in who Jesus is talking to. And, and remember, he's talking to you and me too, right? But you've got to remember, he says, come to me, you who are tired of your heavy burden. He's talking to people that already have a yoke on them. Newsflash, you and I already have a yoke on us. And it is the yoke of having to quantify and justify my purpose and meaning for living all on my own. And I think sometimes we forget exactly how heavy of a burden that is when you have to try and justify your existence and your way of living all by yourself. Soren Kierkegaard put it this way when, he was, when somebody asked him, yeah, but the cost of discipleship, it's just so hard. And he went, I would think that the cost for somebody to try and make their own way in life is at least as much or more 
than the cost of following Jesus. And I really believe that. I really believe that. See, Jesus is going to say that by comparison, taking on his discipline is a rest for our souls. Why? Because his discipline is designed to free us from the heavy yoke. Another author put it this way, especially talking about this idea of spiritual discipline. The purpose of spiritual disciplines is liberation from the stifling slavery of my own self-interest and fear. Think about your lives for a second. How much of our lives is is literally bound up by self-interest and fear? How many of the things that we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing because of self-interest? How many of the, the ways that we want to step out and really live as Jesus intended you, we don't do because of fear? What if there was a way to slip the bonds of that and take on the life that Jesus intended for you? We take on his yoke. We take on his discipline. And it frees us from the burden of having a life that has nothing to back it up except my own self-interest and my own fears. It's freedom. The purpose of Christ's discipline, of the way of being a disciple of Jesus, is freedom. If you hear nothing else today, hear that one. right? And see, that's what actually puts the reading that we had this morning from 1 Timothy 4 into its proper context. As Paul is talking as Paul is talking to Timothy about this way of striving, this way of training unto godliness, we see that this striving and this training and this discipline, it's a result of the blessing of Jesus Christ in order to be able to pursue him, not something that we're doing in order to obtain his blessing. Man, hear that one too. We do not engage in spiritual discipline in order to obtain the blessing of Jesus Christ or to obtain his way of living. We engage in the discipline of Jesus Christ because we already have his blessing. We've already obtained his grace. He's already called us disciple. Right? And so now we can pursue this healthy discipline rather than burning ourselves out trying to find spiritual shortcuts to godliness. And don't get me wrong, the word that Paul uses over and over in this where he says where he talks about training and striving, I mean it's it's where we get the word gymnasium from. Okay, it's all about exerting yourself. And in fact, the gym in Paul's day, it was not an amateur it was not an amateur arena, okay? It was the place where the Olympic athletes were training. All right? It was where they were practicing their craft. And mostly this word of training and striving has to deal with, if, if you can get images in your mind, it's, it's images of like wrestling and sprinting. Very, very high exertion competition. 
And the ones who trained there had been called. And out of that calling, they exerted themselves. And that's the image that he's creating for you and me. We've already been called. And so out of that calling, we exert ourselves. Out of that calling, we train toward godliness. You know, we, 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 we shared a passage today, be holy as I am holy. And sometimes I think we miss the richness of that passage. Because it's not just Jesus saying, be holy as I am holy, like likeness. There's that part of it, but it's be holy because of my holiness. Be holy because I am holy. What is driving you and I to be holy? Because Jesus is already holy and has given us the ability to be holy. Be holy as I am holy. And so we have this, this striving and suffering, and, and Paul uses it in, in verse 10. Um, in verse 10 of First uh, Timothy 4, it says, This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, in verse 9, and for this we labor and strive, that we've put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. We, we strive, we compete to give every last shred of energy for godliness. But why? Why do we leave it all on the field? Why do we play and strive until there's nothing left? Why do we take on that idea of, of training and striving for godliness? Because it's not about us doing it for our sake. The source and the recipient of all of our striving is God alone. Especially the source is God. We don't engage in spiritual formation to change ourselves. Like I talked about last week, it would be, it would be like the clay on the potter's wheel trying to shape itself into a vessel. It doesn't work. And no amount of willpower on your or my part has ever been enough to be able to transform ourselves. Somebody's figured out that secret, come tell me, and I will totally rearrange my theology. But I don't think every, anybody's ever done that. I think we have engaged our will alongside the power of the Holy Spirit for transformation. That's what training and exerting ourselves toward godliness looks like. But it's not about me doing it for my sake, and it's not about me having the ability to do it for my own sake. It is about the fact that we train and we strive because our hope is in the living God who is the Savior of all men. He is the focus of why we move in spiritual discipline. He is the source of how we move in spiritual discipline. And so as we practice these things that we're going to talk about, they work us from the inside out. And it's all about increasing our trust and our hope in the living God, and his power to form us into his image by his spirit. Daniel, I'm going to go ahead and have you guys come up, and we'll kind of close out here real quick. I just want to leave you with a couple of thoughts, and, and we're, going to, we're going to list some of these real quick that we're going to be spending the next few weeks on. Like I said, it's an intro sermon, and these are kind of weird on how to end. Because again, I, I'm kind of ending with the best yet to come. But I want you to realize again, what we said before, we engage in spiritual discipline not to gain blessing, 
or to prove worth, but instead as a way to spend our energy for the eternal, meaningful purpose that we've been given by God's grace. And we let it work from the inside out. You can see we kind of grouped these into, into three categories. The internal disciplines of, of prayer and meditation, just not weird Easterny stuff. I mean simply just stopping and seeking God's presence in your life. Okay? Of study, of fasting, of 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 in essence starving the influences in your life that that are not godly, so that the influences that are godly in your life may increase and be fed. We start with those inward disciplines because those are the foundations of our communication with God. And those are the things that allow us to move outward into practices like being able to order what's important from what's not important and live with simplicity. To be able to be okay to remove ourselves from the noise and be alone with God in solitude. To be able to let him have control and practice real submission to be able to put others' needs higher than ourselves and engage in meaningful service. And then we have the disciplines that we're able to engage in in a community. Confession, the ability to to let God judge rightly about who we are and who he is. And to be able to free ourselves of the burdens that we carry with one another, right? Of guidance, to be able to seek his will, not just alone in solitude, but also from people around us that are also striving to move in his direction and be transformed into his image. To worship and acknowledge him as God together as a group and to celebrate the fact that we are moving into eternity together. These are the pathways. These are the areas that God gives us in order to connect with him and be transformed into his image. Like all things, though, like any exercise program that you were flirting with getting involved in, you know, like that P90X disc that's sitting on your shelf, right? The key is to start. The key is to start. And so if I can leave you with one thing for response today as, as we kind of prepare ourselves to come and worship, is start considering how you will begin in this process, or or I would say even more so, commit that as we start talking about these things over the next few weeks, that you will commit to practicing them, that you will commit to saying, yeah, I will, I will try this on, I will take this on, I will look at this as a way to draw close to the one who has already drawn near to me. And not just alone. Nothing is better than finding a workout buddy, right? Commit with your spouse to do that. Commit with a friend to do that. Commit with a a committed member of this body. Commit with another member of another committed body of Christ to engage in these things together because that is how we grow. Not just alone, we grow together. That's why God gave us a church. But the key is to start, and that's what I encourage you to do. The bad news is, is that there are no shortcuts. The good news is, Brian and Jeremy and everybody's kind of been moving on this whole idea all day, and I love you for that. And I'll just quote the verse, you know, that Jeremy brought up. To him who is able to do immeasurably more 
than anything I can ask or imagine. According to his power that's at work in you. I firmly believe that when we are willing to engage in discipline for the sake of godliness, God responds by giving us immeasurably more than we asked or even imagined possible. And I believe that he will do that for you. I believe it's there in Scripture. It's a promise of the living God that when you draw near to him, he draws near to you in ways that you never imagined. And so I encourage you, journey with us as we go through this in the next few weeks. Let's pray together. Oh God, you are our God. And earnestly we seek you and we long for you. As though we are in a dry land needing streams of living water. And God, even sometimes when we don't desire you and we are compromised and we are weak and we des- and we our desires get frustrated by other desires that are that are not worthy. God, in the deepest parts of our soul, we desire you. Help us to strive toward you as you have drawn near toward us, God. Meet us there. Be faithful to your promise. Be faithful to your promise that if we pursue you, we will find you. And that if we long for you, you will fill us. And that if we strive for you, that you will do more than we have asked or even possibly could imagine. God, we want that life. Help us to be willing to take on your yoke and take on your burden. To be your disciple, to walk in your way. Help us as we start talking about these practices over the next few weeks. And may it bring such revival in our lives, such great formation in our hearts, that the world around us will look at us and will not be able to deny that your spirit lives among us. We pray in your holy son's name and by his spirit.